Good evening. Good evening, Mr. Freeland. Good evening, everyone. Remember that? Okay. Well, um, hey, what an amazing, 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 amazing couple of days we've already had. Uh, so sweet. And, and uh, you know, Taryn and I have been praying and just uh, really longing for God to make this a significant few days for us as a family of churches. And, and uh, as we were just asking the Lord what we could bring, obviously we knew that Daniel was coming and he would bring something so amazing, and it has been so amazing. Uh, and uh, John and Debbie and Jason and others, um, uh, we felt like the Lord maybe said to us uh, that we should focus on the th what, what you might call the three central imperatives of the Christian life. So the three crucial commands that Jesus says to his disciples uh, throughout the course of his earthly ministry. Uh, of course, the first one that Taryn did the other night was come. Come, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And of course, come, get out of the boat and start making footprints on the water with me. Uh, come. And, and uh, tomorrow, we're going to be doing go, which won't be a massive surprise to lots of us. But, you know, go into all nations and make disciples. Uh, the mandate that we have to uh, communicate the good news of Jesus to whoever will listen. Um, tonight, what I want to do is to focus on maybe the middle one, which is stay. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Why don't we pray? It's amazing, really, Jesus, that we can meet like this in a public space. We can open up the scriptures together. We can read them aloud. Each one of us can own many Bibles, and there are places all over the world where what we're doing right now would be simply impossible. And so we just want to say to you, Jesus, that we consider this a privilege that we don't take for granted in any way, and we lean in to receive from you everything that you want to give us from your word this evening. And all God's people said, Amen. About 16 years ago, uh, Taryn and I, we just had a little baby, and uh, we were uh, just wondering what to do with the rest of our lives, really. We were living in Watford at the time, and we began to hear clearly the Lord saying that we should move to Scotland, and in fact to Aberdeen. And, and that was a bit of a surprise to us, uh, and it was um, certainly going to come as a surprise to our family. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, both sets of family were really excited about their first grandchild uh, and the fact that we were choosing to be obedient to the call of God and therefore to move the grandchild 600 miles away. We, we, we just weren't sure how that news would go down. And so, uh, first of all, we drove around the M25 to see my mom and my family uh, and uh, we said, listen, we, we're fairly sure the Lord's asking us to move to Scotland and uh, they, were, they were fine. They were gracious. They were so kind. Uh, and then we, uh, the following weekend, we got in a car and we drove down to Devon, where Taryn's family is from, 
uh, and it's quite a long journey, and, and we were really worried about what they would think, and they may be watching us on their um, live stream this evening, but we were worried because the last thing that they'd heard was that we were thinking that the Lord might be calling us to go and plant a church in North Devon. And so they were expecting, hoping, um, dreaming uh, that, that we would be moving to their doorstep. And now we were going to say, actually, we've taken a sudden left turn and we, you know, we've got lost somewhere along the line. And now we're going to be in Aberdeen. And so we were just imagining in the car all the way down, like, what might they say? What might be their response? How might we respond to what they say? And all of that. And we got there quite late at night. The traffic had been terrible. So we didn't do any of the serious conversation that night. We just drank hot chocolate and went to bed. The following day, uh, they killed the fatted calf, as it were. And uh, all of the family gathered around, siblings and parents and grandparents and even their dog. Uh, uh, you know, it was like a full-on family moment. And uh, we just thought, well, now's as good a time as any. And, and so we just kind of broke this news that we were thinking that probably the Lord was calling us to, to move to Scotland. And uh, there was like just dead silence for a moment. And then Taryn's granddad, who was by that point in his, I don't know, I'm going to say late 70s or something like that, um, uh, he came to faith. Actually, an amazing story. Uh, I don't know why I'm going off on this deviation, but came to faith in the last few weeks of his life, which gives us enormous hope for so many other people that we have in our lives. But... Um, Nevertheless, he suddenly assumed this kind of posture of Gandalf. You know, it was like, you shall not pass. And he said, this cannot be. You must not go. He said, the thing is, they won't have B&Q in Scotland. <laughs> which was not the answer or the response that we'd expected. It turns out that when he had been in Scotland during the war, there was not such a thing as a B&Q in Scotland. And so, isn't it amazing the things in our lives that we just can't imagine doing life without? <laughs> I can't imagine what life would be like without a B&Q. We, we had some dear friends who, uh, again, were in a place of uh, just wanting to go wherever the Spirit would take them. Uh, and and it, they were looking for an adventure with Jesus. Uh, and so they were communicating to us, like, really, honestly, we would go anywhere. And then they heard themselves say, although it would be very hard to imagine going to a place where there wasn't a Pizza Express. <laughs> wow! <laughs> when Taryn was pregnant with our first child, she, uh, I used the word literally, literally, she literally doubled her body weight which is quite an achievement during her pregnancy. And the reason was because she couldn't do without, it turns out, half a pack of pre-cooked cocktail sausages <laughs> before breakfast. <laughs> Isn't it amazing the things that we can't imagine doing life without? Is that mean to say that out loud? Should I check that with you first? Okay. The point is, I might believe, I might believe that I can't do life. I, I wouldn't, I couldn't do life without coffee, without chocolate, without a great cup of tea in the morning, without a B&Q, a Pizza Express, or half a pack of pre-cooked cocktail sausages. But it turns out that there are lots of things that we believe that we're deeply dependent on that we could entirely do without. But 
We cannot do without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. As believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, we are designed. that The whole, the whole um, co- concept of discipleship is designed with the Holy Spirit in mind. We're designed to be profoundly, deeply dependent on the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that's really the principle that I want to unpack this evening. That you and I were born to know the voice of the Holy Spirit right deep within the core of who we are. We were, uh, you know, whatever beautiful and perfect purpose that he has for each one of us, we can only properly fulfill it if we're filled, we're filled with the Spirit of God, with the Spirit of God leading and guiding every step. That we don't really need pretty much more of anything except we do need more of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you were to track through the early church, if you, if you were to watch the followers of Jesus and track them through the Acts of the Apostles, what you would in fact see uh, is you would see amazing things happening. You would see incredible personal transformation. Right? So the, the, the disciples go from horrific levels of fear to extraordinary levels of courage. You would see the, the, the lame walking and the blind seeing and, and the dead being raised. You would see um, uh, the amazing ways in which the people of God were guided by the Holy Spirit, like, like um, uh, uh, jails being opened and, and Macedonian men beckoning people in, in your sleep and all of that kind of stuff. You would see amazing fruitfulness, like thousands upon thousands of people becoming followers of Jesus in a really short space of time. What possible explanation can there be for any of those circumstances except the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? And uh, I don't know whether you can imagine what the Acts of the Apostles would look like, what, what the story of the early church would look like if you were to remove the power and the presence of God. Like, it would be like, I don't know whether you've ever seen anyone unplug a bouncy castle before, but there isn't very much bouncy or castle if you remove the power, right? It's just like, a, it's like no, I've got nothing left. And, and that's what it would have been like. It, it, it's like, what a vision for a life. That there is no possible explanation for how they live their lives except for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing vision for a life. Oh, that people would say of us in the way that they said of Jesus, who is this man? By what power or authority does he do these things? You know, they said the same thing of the early church. They said, where do you get this power from? By what power or what authority do you do these things? Oh, that they would say the same of us. And so the question that I want us to look at tonight is how? How could we live with that level of dependency that, that, that we would become deeply connected to the Holy Spirit in such a way as the lives that we live have no other explanation other than that God is with us and for us. And so we're going to look um, at uh, a moment in, in uh, the... It's really the very last moment that Jesus is with his disciples before he ascends to be with his Father. It's his last opportunity to invest to teach his disciples. And um, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. In fact, it's a moment that is um, mentioned twice by Luke. Luke considers this moment so important that he uh, says it at the end of his gospel, Luke chapter 24, and then again 
in Acts chapter 1, but we're going to look in Luke 24. So Luke 24, and we're going to read from verse 44. If you've got a Bible, feel free to swipe or tap to it. So, it may come up on the screen as well. There you go. It says this. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Lord, please, would you do that for us tonight? He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Your witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay, there's the word there, stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So let me try and paraphrase what it is that Jesus has just said there. He said um, the gospel, uh, and he defines the gospel in a particular way, which is a whole sermon in itself and we don't have time for, but he says the gospel is this, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The gospel will be preached to all nations. Now, now this is like 1,500 years before the first ever map was drawn that we would recognize as being a world map. So they have literally no idea what he's saying at this point. Like all nations, what the heck does that mean? They've got no idea. But he's telling them, you are going to be witnesses to all nations and you're going to preach the gospel wherever you go. Beginning right here in Jerusalem. In other words, the commission the command, the call to the disciples was absolutely massive, like impossibly large for people who were ultimately in fear of their lives at this point. It's, and often the call of God comes to us like that, doesn't it? Like it just feels so impossibly large. Maybe even in the last couple of days, the Lord's been sowing the seeds of dreams into your heart. And you just think, I just can't imagine what that would be like. Like I, I, have, no, I have no concept for even how, bad, how, how big that really is. And uh, so he says, your call is so enormous. And then there's like this massive but. I don't know whether you're a big fan of big buts, but uh, um, I couldn't possibly comment on whether I am or not. However, this is a big but. He says this, don't you dare go anywhere or do anything until you have the power to see it through. Don't you dare. Uh, which is really the principle that we're unpacking tonight, that we are really, if we are to fulfill whatever it is that God is asking of us, we need to be deeply dependent on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So how would we go about living um, in that kind of level of dependency? Well, the first thing is this, be seated, be seated. Verse 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. The word that's translated there as stay, uh, you might be interested to know, is the Greek word kaphisate. Uh, I won't ask you to repeat that. But in the Bible, most often that word kaphisate is simply translated as sit down. It's a command. It's an imperative. It's just sit 
And actually, um, it's, that's how it's more commonly translated. So, for example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus says to his disciples, sit there, I'm going over there to pray. That's exactly the word that he used, sit. Just sit there. It's the word that we use about 3,000 times a day with our flipping dog, uh, who is the most disobedient dog that has ever been known. Uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't my idea to get the dog in the first place. Let's just, <laughs> just, let's just say it like that. But ha- nevertheless, we have the dog now, and we say about 3,000 times a day, sit, 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 and he is the most disobedient dog you've ever known in your life. But if Jesus says to you, sit, it's a really good idea if you sit. Just sit until the power comes. Just sit. I suppose what I'm really saying is this, that being filled with the Spirit of God is actually a profoundly passive thing to do. There's no striving or toiling or straining to be done. We really need only to be still. There was a work to be done, and Jesus has already done it. There's nothing left for you to do. So you can just sit down. You know, it's the fashion these days, isn't it? um, Wherever you go to have something to eat, you have to get your own drink. I don't know quite how that works, but... Like we were in uh, Nando's on Regent Street in London with our kids a couple of weeks ago, and you ask for five Diet Cokes and they give you five empty glasses, right? And then, and then you have to go and get your own drink, which, to be honest, and this is such a geeky thing to admit, but actually I quite enjoy, you know, like you get to use the scooshers. Is that a word? The, you know, it's the scooshers. That's quite a Scottish word, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, you, you get to go along to the scooshers and help yourself and like, would you like some ice? Yes, please, sir. You know, like a uh, little bit of ice bit of Diet Coke, a little bit of a lemonade top on it. You know, it's like, why not? I'm helping myself. I could just do whatever I want. But imagine if you went to a Michelin star restaurant and uh, they said, oh, what would you like to drink, sir? And you said, oh, I'd like a Diet Coke, please. But don't worry, I'll get it myself. You know, like, just give us a glass. Just show me where it is. Like, I'm really good with the scooches. I've been to Nando's. You know, I, you know, I've got a particular cocktail that I know how to make, so it's probably better if I just... Is it round the back? I, can I just go around? Is, you know, is it, just, is it just through there? And you just take your own glass, go, go and fill it. How deeply inappropriate would that be? That would be a very strange thing to do. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is really not something that you can do yourself. You can't fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit. You can fill yourself up with Diet Coke with a lemonade top, but you can't fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that it's profoundly the opposite. Stay there. Wait there, sit there, until the power comes. It's actually a scandal. Like, in that moment, you can imagine that they must have been thinking, well, surely I should be doing something, right? Shouldn't I be trying to beautify myself in some way? Shouldn't I be trying to polish my spiritual CV? Shouldn't I be trying to beautify my life, make myself more attractive to the Holy Spirit so that when the Holy Spirit comes, he might find, you know, want to come anywhere near me. Shouldn't I be trying to do something? But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You don't have to do anything. All you need to do is just sit there. Just sit. And as I've been thinking and meditating on this whole concept, I, I, I started to kind of move towards the second part of that sentence where he says, just stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city. 
And I just realized how deeply uncomfortable that would have been. I can imagine that they wanted to stay really anywhere else. Like, I don't want to stay in this city, which is really a city of shame for me. Where at the very moment when Jesus needed me the most, I ran away. Where I watched him being brutally tortured and horribly, barbarically executed. And I watched from a distance because I was just too afraid to go anywhere near. It's like a, a place of deep shame for them. And um, it's a place of grief and loss. It's a place where they lost their friend. And it's a place of fear, right? So Jesus has been, you know, the, the whole um, uh, religious and uh, political powers have, have turned against Jesus. Uh, and they've dragged him out into the street and then they've nailed him to a cross. And they're just thinking, any minute we could be next. So you can imagine they're thinking, we would rather be anywhere else other than here. If you, you know, like if you want us to stay anywhere, please could it not be here? And yet he says, you know, I want you to be right here. And here is the place where I'm going to fill you with power. And the reason why that's so important is if, if, if he can fill them there, then he can fill us here. In whatever place we're in, whatever, however we are right now. If he can fill them in their place of fear and guilt and shame, he can fill us right here, right now. We don't have to, you know, sometimes I think we're like, oh, if only I could get myself into a slightly different place. Like, you know, if, if I could just leave Jerusalem, as it were, and go to like Caesarea Philippi or, or Pisidian Antioch, then maybe, just if I could just move myself to a different place, then maybe then the Lord might come and fill me with power. But, but you don't need to move yourself to anywhere. He wants you to stay right where you are because the work is already done. Jesus has already done it. It's a work of grace, which is such a sweet thing. The other thing about this word, kathisate, sit, is that I think, and I'm very aware that we have some uh, uh, Greek scholars in the room, but I think it hints at a higher status. If I was in the Greek-speaking ancient world uh, and I wanted to appoint somebody in this room to be like a high court judge, right? So I'm looking around the room, I'm thinking, uh, Ed Merchant, he would be a really great person to appoint as a high court judge. The, the language that I would use would not be, oh, I'm going to appoint you or I'm going to judgeify you or I'm going to wig you or I'm going to, you know, whatever the language you might think it is. The word is, I'm going to seat you. I'm going to seat you. And so you see that actually quite a lot in the New Testament. You see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. You see Jesus using that word when he's talking about how he's going to sit on his throne in eternity. And the apostles are going to sit on 12 other thrones. And they're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel together. He's using that word sit. And, and I say all of that to, to say this really. That I think what he's doing is he's saying you need to begin to agree with the new status that you have in Christ. You need to start to lie, kind of bring your life into alignment with who God says you are because you may believe that you're a tax collector and a sinner or a zealot or a terrorist or whatever, you know, like a son of thunder, but you now have a whole new identity. You have a new identity. You're blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's sin in there. Shame is no longer their story. 
They've been chosen in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in the sight of God. They're no longer deserving of death. They're adopted to sonship. And uh, if you're into Greek and you're like, no, I think you're pushing that Greek too far, then that would be totally fine because the great news is it's also the central message of Paul's letter to the Galatians. And in Galatians, what he's saying is, why do you believe that your work, your activity, the things that you are doing will make yourself more attractive to the Holy Spirit? That is not how this thing works. You get to receive the Holy Spirit because of who you are and because of what Jesus has already done. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Because you're his sons, God sent his spirit into your hearts. Um, We've had some funny chats with our kids um, at Sunday lunches. When you kind of debrief church, that's the joy of being a pastor's kid, right? And so I remember this one time when uh, one of our sons was about six years old and we were kind of debriefing around the lunch table and uh, uh, one of our sons started to tell us that, you know, uh, as he'd been queuing up for a donut, he'd had one. And then he thought, do you know what? I could just have another donut. And he reached up and he'd gone to take another donut. And whoever was on the team that day quite rightly said, "Uh, excuse me, do you think you actually need another donut? And they basically said to him, you can't really have another donut, which is quite right. We we were pleased that they did that, you know, because he would have been puking up all the way home. So... But anyway, so we're just talking about it, and we're saying, so, son, how did, that, how did you feel about that? Like, how did that go? Like, how did you respond? And he said, well, what I thought about saying was, you're going to live to regret that. Do you know who I am? <laughs> and we were like, we are really, really glad that you did not actually say that. You didn't say that, did you? Do you know who I am? I'm, it's like, I'm kind of a big deal here, you know. My dad, you know, my mom, it's like... Do you know who I am? The point is, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are in Christ? We need to come into agreement with who God says we are and just be seated, be still. If we want to live the kind of life that is deeply dependent on the Spirit of God, we just need only to be still, be seated. Number two, be clothed. We're our church partners with uh, some uh, amazing, an amazing couple called Leslie and Shanti Matthews who uh, live and minister in Sri Lanka. Thankfully, uh, a long way away from the bombs that went off the other day. And um, they've been there for 29, uh, or they've been planting churches for, I don't know, 30 odd years, something like that. And over the course of that time, they've planted 29 churches. And it's just such an amazing thing. Like, um, it's actually astonishing. Uh, Whenever the country was war-torn and you've got these uh, camps for internally displaced people, everyone else is trying to 
get out of those camps. And they're like, hey, wouldn't it be amazing if we could get into those camps? So you know, it'd be like, be like a captive audience, and we could preach the gospel to everyone in these camps. They're planting churches into the camps when everyone else is running away. They're basically insane. And um, so anyway, they were telling us this story a while ago, they, uh, and I can't believe, like, we've known them for some years, but they just casually dropped this into the conversation one time. They were like, we were going to plant a church in a particular area. We really felt like Jesus was asking us to do that. And so we got a little team together, and we sent them to this village. And as this team got towards the village, the people of the village came out of their homes, and they came towards them, and they basically said, like, okay. On their motor on the way to somewhere else, the village, this Hindu temple, injured, but get your family together. So he lays his hands on his. The day when I raised my wife from the the Lord had a. To, she was like, village. And the people come out again and they say, you must not come any closer. But they say, no, we, we, we just have to do this. And, but actually, as they got there, the people seemed to warm up a bit. And so people started to bring out chairs and benches. And before you kn- knew it, there was like a little amphitheater for people to gather around and listen. And Leslie gets his guitar out and he starts singing worship songs. As he's singing these worship songs, there's a girl there who's just... Um, like crying out, shrieking, causing absolute chaos. And so some of the team go over to her, they lay hands on her, they come and gives her life to Jesus. As do, does. Oh, I wonder where I'm on. <laughs> well, what I call a conversion story, right? From the dead. So many of us believe ultimately that our testimonies, our stories of how Jesus rescued us, was ultimately a bit naff. Like, you know, what other people even slipped into the accidentally one third. That's how it may appear in the actual story. It was a classic. The temptation might be to run away. In that moment, the Spirit of God comes upon upside church. So, in our talk about being spirit, we might think about. Here, I could just say, and then I could just screw the cap on, and then but Jesus is telling telling us something remarkably simple in this passage, and I'll just finish with this. What if it really is as simple as this? I'm grace on you. He's for you. He's made a promise. And Jesus. Master saying, My father's promised 